I'm the president and you're fake news. CNN's ratings would be in the toilet without Donald Trump. Now, I won't deny the level of polarization. I think we're different as a result of Donald Trump. When you go around calling the president the enemy of the people, some people are going to hear that and think it's okay to go out and hurt these people. Hello, I'm Richard Gisbert, and you're watching The Listening Post, working from home. The U.S. elections are into the home stretch, and the media are a key issue for many voters. That's what we're focusing on this week. November 3rd is Decision Day. Donald Trump's fake news narrative is about to be put to the ultimate test. We went through the greatest witch hunt in political history. Sit down with President Donald Trump. The gospel of Trump, 24-7. The marriage of convenience that is the president's relationship with the Christian Broadcasting Network. Conservatives like to accuse social media platforms of suppressing their voices in favor of liberal ones. The data says otherwise. And the art of the impersonation. So good, so good. A step-by-step -step guide on how to sound presidential. There are just days to go now until the U.S. presidential election and the role of the news media is among the election issues. Donald Trump wouldn't have it any other way. He's been all in on the fake news narrative, trying to make the coverage the story rather than his handling of COVID-19, which is nobody's idea of a success. Trump's victory back in 2016 forced a reckoning upon the U.S. news media. A lot of his fake news talk is baseless, yet it clearly hits home with Americans who have lost faith in their fourth estate. Much of the corporate U.S. news industry, whose incessant coverage helped fuel Trump's rise, has since tried to repair their reputations while preserving their profits. That approach has paid dividends on both counts, but they have not emerged from this fight unscathed. This election is a de facto referendum on the Trump presidency. Many journalists could well see it as a referendum on themselves. Our starting point this week, the 2020 U.S. presidential election. It is too soon to write Donald Trump's political obituary, by at least a few days, perhaps more. But lest we forget, on the eve of the election, quiet, quiet. and with the cage match between Trump and U.S. journalists heading for a possible conclusion, we're going to turn now to my interview with the newest candidate for president. That no American president has ever relied on the media to get into the White House, ever depended on it the way Trump did. No one has loomed larger over the political landscape than Donald Trump. The corporate complicity on the part of U.S. news outlets has never been greater. What the media did at the beginning, because it is a source of entertainment in the United States, it rolled out the red carpet for Donald Trump, and he never stopped voguing on it. He never stopped walking down that carpet. It was grotesque. It was a free advertisement, and he knew how to use it. The news media played Dr. Frankenstein to Donald Trump's monster. They created him and then he got out of control and now they're in the process of trying to destroy him and I believe will be effective in doing that at least with regard to his re-election efforts. Here goes Prior to 2004, Donald Trump was just a celebrity millionaire, a quote producing machine in the journalistic hotbed of New York City. I'm seeing a lot of him. <laughs> Women wise? Women wise. Then he fronted The Apprentice. The decade he spent as a reality TV host honed his media game. You're fine. By 2015, when Trump ran for president, the NBC executive who oversaw The Apprentice was in charge of CNN. 
and Jeff Zucker, like other news execs, craved the ratings Trump could provide. According to MediaQuant, a company that tracks media output, American news outlets gifted Trump billions of dollars in free advertising, disguised as news coverage, hours and hours of airtime helping him get the nomination. Well, I just think it's a nasty question. By the time Trump took the White House, he had turned on his creators in the media. One false story after another. Calling everybody from CNN to the New York Times fake news if they dared to point out the facts when the president was lying. You are the enemy of the people. The media rarely talks about a president as lying. No, the president isn't royalty in the United States, but they treat them like royalty. And Donald Trump is not the first president to lie. For example, George W. Bush about going into Iraq and using 9-11 as a pretext, which Iraq had nothing to do with. Iraq could decide on any given day to provide a biological or chemical weapon to a terrorist group. His administration was not called out in that way. Um, but after a time with uh, President Trump, they started to label things just as they should. They started to label them as lies. Trump was in a clear shock to the system, but I also think there's a huge kind of demand for a sort of anti-Trump one-upsmanship from the audience. If you watch CNN, it's just 24-7 calling Trump a liar because I think that is what is driving ratings right now. We had an avalanche of lying from President Trump. It's a kind of a trap that, tr that Trump has walked everyone into. We're rounding the turn. We have the vaccines. We have everything. He will occasionally tell ridiculous lies to force the media to call him a liar. A level of lying unseen before. And then forces supporters to choose between him and the media that ultimately it's a net negative for everybody. When news outlets critical of Donald Trump cast themselves as protectors of the truth, dedicated to responsible journalism, their critics offer a one-word response, Russiagate. We're about to find out if the new president of our country is going to do what Russia wants. In the two years it took former FBI Director Robert Mueller to investigate an alleged conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Kremlin, those news outlets kept that story cooking through a series of official leaks Russia will consider retaliatory and unofficial conspiracy theories, predicting a Watergate-scale downfall of a president. When reality and the official report failed to meet those expectations, it played right into the Trump fake news narrative. The only collusion was committed by the Democrats, the fake news media, and their operatives. Journalistic reputations took a pounding. Now, there were a lot of things the news media reported that were false because they had this vacuum they had to fill. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to speculate. We are actually correcting the story that we have been reporting uh, throughout the day today. And let's be clear, the liberal media was very prone to believing the worst possible things about Donald Trump. So when, when you're prone to believing it and it fits with your narrative and it's good for ratings, who's going to stop? One of the real factors in the media business right now is a turn from an advertising-based model towards subscription. Big newspapers and broadcasters were largely relied on advertising. Now the most important forces in news are reliant on subscriptions, which is less about trying to please every single person who could possibly buy a mattress and more about finding your slice of super fans who want to buy your content and identify with your brand. And so there is a sort of broad commercial pressure toward a more partisan stance.
that subscription model exacerbates the polarization that plagues news coverage in the U.S. As liberal media have grown less objective and more partisan, on the other side, Fox News has doubled down on its support for President Trump. Not that Fox has satisfied the president, who's taken pot shots at the network and has steered his base to hyper-partisan outlets like One American News, Newsmax, the Christian Broadcasting Network, and the Washington Times. Too many Americans live in one news bubble or the other, seldom venturing outside for a look. The thing the two media spheres have in common and one of the few points that a liberal like Amy Goodman and a conservative like John Ziegler can agree on is the corporate profit-driven imperative that both bubbles are built on. There is absolutely no question that commercialism drives almost all of this. It is the prism through which every news media outlet sees everything that happens. It is the worst kept secret in all the media that conservative outlets do much better when a liberal is in office and liberal news media outlets do much better when a conservative or a Republican is in office. And Trump clearly proved that to a startling degree. Uh, you know, he has essentially saved MSNBC and CNN and uh, he has kept, uh, you know, liberal uh, internet uh, outlets in business. The media is addicted to Trump. The media are large multinational corporations. Their main uh, motive is the profit incentive. We're on a mission. Your mission. They're brought to you by corporations that profit from war. We need independent media. We're, we're not brought to you by the weapons manufacturers. When we cover climate change, we're not brought to you by the oil, the gas, the, gas, the coal companies. Energy lives here. When we cover health care, we're not brought to you by the insurance industry, but brought to people by the listeners, the viewers, the readers who are deeply committed to independent information. There were signs in 2017, after Donald Trump's election, of a rebirth of American journalism. The New York Times was among the platforms reporting record surges in subscriptions. But consider this. According to the Reuters Institute, in that same year, 2017, only 38% of Americans said they trusted their news media. That figure has actually fallen since to 29%. That is as good a measure as any that President Trump's media bashing has had an effect. Expect it to continue right through to Election Day and probably beyond. Donald Trump has tried really hard to put the media on the ballot. He'd basically rather run against The New York Times and CNN than he would against Joe Biden. It hasn't really worked. I mean, I think the reality of these campaigns is that ultimately, the president is going to be defined by what he did in office and, and this, in this case, his handling of the coronavirus crisis has really driven everything before it. Let's be clear about this. If Donald Trump were to somehow win this election, it would be the most dramatic repudiation of the news media in American history. I don't see that happening, but I know that there are a lot of Americans who are voting for Donald Trump, if only to stick it to the news media. Conservative commentators and politicians, including the president, have long complained that the media are against them, social media platforms included. That was their argument earlier in the campaign when Twitter and Facebook deleted several high-profile right-wing accounts and fact-checked some of Donald Trump's own tweets. Politico and its chief tech correspondent, Mark Scott, took a deep data dive into that theory that social media companies are institutionally biased against the right. 
and the findings are worth examining. He joins me now. Mr. Scott, working with the London-based Institute for Strategic Dialogue, you examined millions of social media posts and then concluded that what these conservative voices have been saying is simply not factual. So walk us through it. So over a month-long period between the end of August and September, I worked with an outside group to look at about 2 million social media posts across five social networks, including about 500,000 individual users around two specific topics that are very closely linked to the, to the US election, Black Lives Matter and voter fraud. And over those two topics, and I can only speak to those topics versus broader discussions on social media, it was categorically false that there was a uh, bias against uh, conservative voices purely because on Black Lives Matter, right-leaning um, commentators and social media users uh, outdid left-leaning and traditional media outlets by about a factor of 10 in terms of actual content being shared. And then you look at the voter fraud narratives as well. Again, it was very stark that conservative voices um, and their content was shared mostly double compared to liberal and traditional media. So what do these conservative commentators base their allegations on? Is it purely anecdotal? It's that, to coin a term, the conservatives in the US are playing the ref, trying to force social media companies to take a more lax view on some of the content that's been put out there. And like it or not, the right is just putting out more misinformation or potential falsehoods than the left is. It's not like the left isn't doing it, it's just that the right has been more successful of weaponizing that content to a, lot, to a greater degree. And with less than a week to go before the US election, this is all about trying to frame the discussion around big tech and the deep state and the mainstream media is out to get the Republicans. And I didn't start off this um, reporting project with the idea of proving that there was a conservative non-bias on social media. We just wanted to see what kind of discussions were going on. But within a few weeks, it became quite clear that overwhelmingly the, the conservative voices were outdoing the, the left and traditional media. And when you have two million social media posts, it's quite difficult to go against that. Mark Scott, thanks for speaking with us here at The Listening Post today. As we mentioned in our previous piece, there are a select few broadcast networks that are in President Trump's good books. Fox News is one of them, but the president also has time for the Christian Broadcasting Network, CBN. Since Trump landed in office, CBN has landed exclusive interviews with the president and his officials and his advisors. It's a relationship built on common interests. Evangelicals, especially white evangelicals, will form a big part in the Republican Party's core vote on Tuesday and are among Trump's most stubborn supporters. He needs to keep them on side. CBN provides the perfect go-between. And CBN's executives have a religious vision for the United States that relies on a president willing to champion their beliefs, even if he himself is not exactly pious. The Listening Post's Flo Phillips now on Donald Trump and CBN. A political match made in heaven. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for coming out to our first official briefing here in the Brady Room. January 23rd, 2017. The first White House press conference of the Trump administration. Question number one goes to... Daniel Halper, New York Post. The second question... Jennifer Wishon. Who? Where? Jennifer Wishon, not a name from CNN or CBS. She's CBN, the Christian Broadcasting Network. We were watching that first press conference in the newsroom here. There's a chair that went up. 
when he called on the CBN correspondent. So, Jenny, what was that like? You're in the briefing room, and uh, oh, by the way, sorry, Associated Press, uh, Jenny from the B Block has a question. How, how did that go? Well, it's, it's remarkable, uh, David. That was a, a signature moment for, for us because we never get called on. It's, <laughs> we've been in that uh, White House room for, uh, boy, it's first, first time was 1980, so it's been a while. It legitimates CBN as a news outlet. It recognizes them, and it does something else, too. Trump is basically saying, I see you. None of those other people sees you. Um, I'm going to overturn the system that says I have to call on CNN, I have to call on CBS, I have to call on the New York Times. No, I'm going to call on CBN um, because we're part of this anti-establishment um, radicals overthrowing the system. Compared to giants like CNN, MSNBC and Fox News, CBN's news division is small scale but it plays a very specific strategic role, shaping the political interests and voting behavior of many evangelical Americans. The network's stated mission is to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus Christ. Its method, the strategic use of mass communication, a global ministry relying on TV, internet, and social media to spread good news. According to the network's CEO, CBN's flagship show, The 700 Club, gets roughly five to 600,000 US viewers a day. Not exactly the more than four and a half million viewers Sean Hannity gets every night on Fox News, but that content is then translated and transmitted around the globe, hitting a monthly reach of up to 15 million. CBN is the most influential evangelical Christian organization in the world without a doubt. It's not so due to the size of their audience, though. It's due to the fact that all of the other leaders in uh, white evangelical Christianity pay attention to what Pat says. And so it's a matter of not only influencing masses, but it's of influencing the influencers. And that's what uh, CBN does so well. Terry Heaton was the executive producer of The 700 Club for much of the 1980s. And the Pat he's talking about is Pat Robertson. Robertson is central to the CBN story. He founded the network in 1960, and at age 90, still hosts The 700 Club. In Jesus' name! He is a hugely influential figure in the evangelical community, with a fundamentalist view of Christianity. But it's not just his faith that guides him. His father was a US senator, and he himself ran for the Republican presidential nomination in 1988. So Pat's got politics flowing through his blood, and I've always said that he is first a politician and secondly, a minister. I think he's brilliant, he really is. He's especially brilliant when it comes to politics and marketing. You could think of him almost as a precursor to Trump, a TV personality running for president, right? He laid the groundwork for someone who's not necessarily a political person running for president and using the mobilization of conservative Christian voters as the driving force behind their presidential run. Pat Robertson believes in the end times, and he believes that before the second coming of Christ can happen, there has to be a kind of apocalypse. And so a politics of chaos actually fits in very nicely with his religious beliefs. And that's going to be a great thing for Christianity. So to the extent that Donald Trump is an agent of chaos, 
Pat Robertson embraces that. I want you to know there are thousands and thousands of people praying for you. Because he sees this as getting us closer and closer to the end times and the second coming. White evangelicals were central to Trump's election victory in 2016. More than 8 in 10 voted for him. Nearly as many say they will vote for him again this time. And as the country gears up for the election, Trump needs to keep conservative Christians on side. CBN's influence and reach provides the perfect platform for that. Trump and CBN have developed a relationship over the years, long before most people thought he was running for president. He did an interview with CBN, with David Brody, that seemed like perhaps he's thinking about it in 2011. You have to pick somebody that's going to win. I think he's interviewed Trump at least a dozen times, one-on-one. -on -one. Who is God to you? What, what, what are some of your thoughts on this? So that has enabled CBN to position itself as the inside baseball network. God is the ultimate. I mean, God created this. The tight relationship between a seemingly ungodly president and his evangelical base appears incongruous. Donald Trump doesn't exhibit the traditional Christian principles that the CBN promotes. So I've come here to the network's headquarters in Virginia Beach to ask the CEO if this is just an alliance of political convenience. But Trump doesn't come across as the most devout president that there's ever been. And <laughs> he's not, he's not <laughs> And uh, you know, you are the <laughs> most outwardly yeah. Christian broadcaster in the country, and yet I you swear. still support him. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear. I think I joined with a lot of people waking up uh, the day after the election going, what just happened? Uh, so he, he's, he's an unlikely president, and it's unlikely for him to be of a, such appeal to evangelical voters. That said, I think President Trump is an absolute master of media, master of promotion, and as a master politician, he made very specific promises to the evangelical community about Supreme Court justices, about the Johnson Amendment, about Christian persecution. Christianity, it's under siege. Unlike other politicians who make promises in the campaign and then do something different in office, uh, he's fulfilled his promises. He's, he's come through. A lot of what white evangelicals have had to do since Trump appeared on the scene is to figure out kind of how he fits in their theology and in their religious commitments. The office is so powerful that you need God even more. A CBN interview says Donald Trump cares about you. Nobody's done more for Christians or evangelicals or frankly religion than I have. He's going to sit down and talk to us even though he won't talk to the Washington Post or the New York Times or to CBS. Um, so Donald Trump values you. You will continue to believe in Donald Trump because Trump believes in you. Trump may value CBN and CBN may value the access it gets. But that doesn't mean there's any value in the news it's producing. And that's coming from someone who should know. Ten years before Fox News came on the scene, we wrote the playbook for conservative news. Uh, we called it TV news with a different spirit. And all it was was uh, an attempt to insert conservative propaganda into the news. I am convinced this is a nation under God. In the end, right-wing news is only propaganda. It's not news. There's no attempt 
to be unbiased. And uh, I think it's gone so far now that the public isn't aware of that, but that's still what we created. Blame me. Uh, I'm the one who is, is saying, I don't want to play gotcha journalism. I, I think there's plenty of place in the new space today where you're going to hear that other side. What is missing, I think, in the landscape is, well, what is it that they're really trying to say? What is that unedited version? Sometimes that unedited version comes directly from God. At least that's what Pat Robertson reported two weeks prior to election day. According to what I believe the Lord told me, the president is going to be re-elected. The Christian Broadcasting Network, preaching the gospel of Trump down to the wire. And finally, these days, it's not just the president wondering if he'll still have a job. Spare a thought for all those Trump impersonators, actors like Alec Baldwin and John DiDomenico, comics like Sarah Cooper. They've spent so much time perfecting the tone, the gestures, the New York accent, and the questionable pronunciations of President Trump. We're going to leave you now with a step-by-step -step guide on how to do Trump impersonations. It's from a British comedian. Daniel Barker. He's probably working on his Joe Biden impression these days. The polls suggest that that would be the prudent thing. We'll see you next time here at The Listening Post. I start by constricting my throat, creating that gravelly bass. Then you'll add the, the lips and the teeth. And then the accent is just comes out when you tense up the throat even more. And then you lean into the eye. And when you lean into the eye, and you add the hand, always in, always defensive, but always attacking. Then you start to get the impression that you're looking for. And then you got to talk slow because he doesn't always talk fast. He'll talk slow. He'll make a point. And then you just add a bit of derangement. So good. So good. So great. And you start to get it. It's a great thing, but it's also a terrible thing. So bad. It's terrible. But it's also so great. I got COVID-19, but I never felt better. I never felt better. I feel so strong. So great.